Welcome to the Faith for My Generation podcast, where our vision is to shake and shape a generation with the power of God's Word. We're on one mission, to raise up a generation of powerful believers through the relevant teaching of God's Word. I'm so thankful that you're here today. I'm your host, AJ. Let's get into the episode. Do you want to know the real truth about temptation? You're in the right place. Good morning. This is your wake-up call. It's wake-up call 102, the real truth about temptation. And this is the Faith for My Generation podcast, and I'm your host, AJ. I'm thankful that you're here watching and listening. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to read a couple verses in Matthew chapter 4 as we discuss the real truth about temptation. There's four different points or four truths, I guess I might say, that I want you to see from God's Word today concerning temptation. I think this is going to help some people that have some questions about temptation. What is it? How do we overcome it? Who experiences it? Why am I being tempted? And I want to go to Matthew chapter 4 and read verses 1 through 11. This is when Jesus, our Lord and Savior, was tempted. Let's learn from his example when he experienced temptation. What did he do? How did he react? And what was the end result? Let's read. Matthew chapter 4 verse 1 begins. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, afterwards he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you're the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Jesus, before he enters into his earthly ministry, a couple things takes place. Uh, we understand that there was a time that Jesus had to wait until he entered into ministry. In the book of John, it tells Jesus tells us that he only did what he saw his father do. He only said what he heard his father say. And of course, Christ, he is God. He is the Word, and he became flesh. And he was begotten of God as a son from a virgin's womb. And he lived this life perfect and without sin. He was living this life on the earth as a man. Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus, though God, surrendered who he was as God and limited himself to a flesh body and to this life on the earth. And so he was born and he grew up just like you and I, and he had to learn things just like you and I did. And as he grew, he grew in the fear of the Lord. It tells us, you know, when Jesus is 12, he's growing. He, he's there at the temple 
speaking to the Pharisees and scribes and they're amazed at the knowledge and wisdom that he's already gained at such a young age and he grows in stature and in wisdom with God and man. And then he enters into a time of prayer with fasting. And it tells us that in verse 2, he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Now, I just preached a message entitled, When You Fast. It's on the podcast. My apologies if you tried to listen to it when it was originally released. Apparently, I made a mistake and it was like four minutes long, whatever I uploaded. I've re-uploaded the entire message. My apologies. But now if you go listen to When You Fast on the Faith for My Generation podcast, the entire message is there. And And I ministered message on that concerning what prayer and fasting is. Of course, just in short, fasting simply means to cover the mouth. It means to not eat. So Jesus did not eat food for 40 days. You might think that's impossible, that it couldn't happen, but it's true, and he did. He went 40 days and 40 nights. Now it says after this he was hungry. Now at that point when he's about to break his fast, coming to a point, he's very weak in the flesh because at 40 days at this point all the fat that was available in the body has been used up muscles being eaten, and now at this point you're going to true starvation. Most of us never understand what starvation is because we never get to that point. It takes some time. Your body actually has built-in mechanisms so that you won't starve. And that's why, you know, if you just eat a little extra every day, you'll uh, begin to fluff up, right? It's a mechanism so that you won't starve. But at this point where he is very weary and hungry, that's when Satan comes. And it's interesting in verse 1, it does tell us that the Holy Spirit sent Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This is a test. And I ministered on that a a few weeks ago, actually, I think probably two months ago at this point. And it's on the Faith for My Generation podcast as well. The test of faith is what it's entitled. Uh, Our faith must be tested because unless it's tested, it's not proven. It's like, you know, being a soldier who's never fired a around down range but you have that rifle on your shoulder you carry it around you clean it you load it you break it down you put it back together you shine it up but you've never shot it you you, you're going to be a danger to yourself and those around you you're going to be dangerous to everybody but the enemy because you don't know how to you've not proven yourself with that weapon where our faith has to be proven and at this point The Holy Spirit is sending him into the wilderness for this time of prayer and fasting, and there will be a testing of his faith. Now, the first thing I want you to see is this, concerning the real truth about temptation. The real truth about temptation, the first truth I want you to see and understand is this. Everyone is tempted. Everyone is tempted, even Jesus. If Jesus the Son of God, Lord of Lords and King of Kings, our Savior, the Commander of Heaven's armies. If He was tempted, you can guarantee you and I will be tempted. Every single person is tempted. There's another passage that we're going to use a couple of different points from as well. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 is so eye-opening concerning temptation. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 says this, No temptation has overtaken you except as is 
common to man. But is faith, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Notice that first portion of verse 13 in 1 Corinthians 10. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. Temptation is common to man, mankind. If you breathe air and you're not an extraterrestrial being, you are a humanoid, you are a terrestrial being, you will be tempted. And probably not just once, many times. You and I are going to be tempted. That's the first truth about temptation. Expect it. It's coming. You know, people might pray that prayer, Lord, you know, I don't ever want to be tempted again, God. Lord, I, I pray in Jesus' name I'm never tempted again. That's a, that's a silly prayer to pray because temptation is all around. Temptation is this, the spirit of this world, the Antichrist spirit in this earth, Satan, he's operating, he's tempting. But even your own flesh and desires, and if you have any unrenewed thoughts circling around in your mind you need to get out, those very things will tempt you. So it's not even Satan at that point, but something in us. It's interesting, James chapter 1 mentions that. Let me read that for you as well. James chapter 1 says this in verse 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. For those that are watching the video, you can see I've got a, a visitor here. Anna the cat has made her way onto the desk. That might be worth going on YouTube right there just to, to see her prance around. I usually have to put her outside because when she knows I'm over here recording, she comes and finds this spot right beside my arm. <laughs> All right, back to the point. James 1.13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted of, by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Verse 14, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. See, that in itself shows you right there. Even when Satan tempts, when Satan is the one that is the source of temptation, he is using desires that are already within us. He's tempting you to satisfy desires, and those desires are God-created, God-ordained. Let's just use one example. In the world we live in, especially in the nation that I'm in, United States of America, we've got folks listening all the time from all over nations. It's probably no different for yours, but I can speak for my nation. The United States of America is addicted to sexualization, I guess you might say. Like just everything is so sexualized. You know, just, just simple commercials and you turn on TV and movies and, and there's inappropriate scenes and you go to the mall and shop and there's inappropriate advertising and, and, and the sexualization of children, 
you know, with the, all this craziness like drag queen hour, you know, having storybook hour in schools. Why, why do grown men dressed like women want to be around kids, right? There's just a, a demonic spirit that, that is perverse. And what is it doing? It is perverting something that God created. God created sex. It's holy. It's just. It's beautiful within the construct that God created, marriage. But outside of marriage, there is no place, according to God, for sex. Yet, in, our, in this nation, America, it is hypersexualized in everything and, and all the stuff that, that goes on. All right. Move the cat there. But notice what Satan would do in that instance if it's sexual temptation. He is using an area that God created, that God made, but he's trying to get you to fulfill that desire against God's law. Well, we're going to see that all through this temptation of Jesus. Some of the things, the very first thing, in fact, that Satan tempts Jesus with, hey, if you're the Son of God, cast, turn this stone into bread. Turn this stone into bread. After all, you haven't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. Which, side note, if Jesus hadn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights, his digestive system is completely shut down. It's completely dormant and asleep. There's basically zero acid in his stomach uh, to digest food. If he ate bread, he probably would have killed himself. Honest to goodness, people have killed themselves fasting so long and then they just go eat solid food and it, it just it kills them. It binds them up on the insides and they can't do it and, and they, they kill themselves from that. So what you actually have to do, just so you're aware, the general rule is for every week that you fast and your digestive system is shut down and dormant, for every week that you fast, you should take one day to start it back up. One day to start it back up. And so for 40 days, you need about, what, seven days, a whole week really to introduce juices and then maybe boiled vegetables and then some fruits, things that are very easy for the body to digest and then add little and little and little to it. But notice, it's not wrong for Jesus to eat bread. There's nothing sinful about eating bread. But what is the temptation in this first temptation? Satan is saying, you, want, you're, you say you're the son of God. Prove it. And so Satan is trying to get Jesus to satisfy his appetite, a desire, but to do it illegitimately, to use his power as God, anointed of God, outside of the will of God. Because again, Jesus said, I only do what I see my father do. I only say what I see my father say. He's obedient to the will of the father. He's not just going to start turning stones and commanding stones to become bread. And there's the temptation to act out of the will of God and to satisfy a desire that though it is a natural desire to do it in an illegal way in the kingdom. Now, second truth about temptation. The second truth about temptation, the Word of God, which is the sword of spirit, the sword of the spirit, is our defense. How do you defend yourself 
against temptation. I've had people ask me that. You know, when I'm tempted, what do I do? You use the Word of God. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. Notice in this first temptation, verse 4, But Jesus answered and said, It is written. And then he goes on to quote Deuteronomy 6.16. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Second temptation, what does Jesus say? It is written again. You shall not tempt the Lord your God, which is out of the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6.16. Excuse me. Verse 4 is Deuteronomy 8.3. And then the third time Jesus is tempted, he says, Away with you, Satan, for it is written. You shall not worship. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Deuteronomy 6.13. So each time Satan tempts Jesus to disobey, to act in sin, to go against the will of the Father, to do something that is not right, Jesus combats that temptation with the Word of God. He uses God's Word to defend Himself. And, and this is key. It may seem simple. You may think, that's just too simple. But it absolutely is not. You know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And the more you instill and fill your heart with the Word of God, the more faith you have in it. And it just... It just it just works. It just works because the more you believe and have faith in what God has commanded, you actually obey it. If you have an obedience problem, you have a faith problem. I'm going to say that again. If you have an obedience problem, being obedient to the Word of God, you have a faith problem. You don't truly believe it. I don't truly believe it because at the point that I actually obey the Word of God, that's the point that I believe it. Because James uh, chapter 2 tells us, right? Faith without works is dead. So at the point that I'm acting on what I believe, there's real living faith. And if I'm disobeying the Word of God, it's because I don't actually believe it. Because if I did, I would fear the consequence of transgressing God's law, but also I would be heartbroken knowing what I'm doing toward the Father when I act in disobedience. Psalms 119 verse 11 says this, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So how do you keep yourself from sinning? Hiding the word of God in your heart. Verse 9 right before it in Psalm 119, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. So you want to cleanse your path? You want to cleanse your way? Struggling with temptation? You feel like you keep falling for temptation? Allow the Word of God to fill your heart and your mind. And then when Satan comes to tempt, you can combat those lies with the truth of God's Word. You'll be able to say, No, Satan, I'm not going to do that. God said if I did that, I would have to depart from him for eternity. No, the Word tells me if I do that, it'll end in destruction. No, the Word tells me if I do that, it'll destroy me and those I'm with. And I want no part in it. No, Satan, I'm not going to fall for temptation. For the Bible tells me I need to watch, be watchful, be vigilant, and watch. Because you, my adversary, you're trying to seek whom, whom you may devour. And so I don't, I'm not going to allow you to devour me. 
And we use the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, to combat the lies of the enemy. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and powerful, is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is the discerner of thoughts and the intents of the heart. So the Word of God, it's alive, it's powerful, it has power to refute the attacks of the enemy. It's a two-edged sword. It pierces between the soul and the spirit, joints and marrow. It discerns thoughts and the intents of the heart. So think about that. It discerns thoughts. So the Word of God can actually say, "Uh, that thought you need to get out of your mind. Satan is seeding some temptation into your thoughts, and you need to eliminate that thought as quickly as possible. You know, really, that's where the battle takes place with temptation. It's in your mind. It's in your mind. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3 says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Verse 5, casting down arguments. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity into the obedience of Christ, being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Notice where the warfare is taking place. This war that we're fighting, it's not flesh and blood, it's spiritual. The weapons we have, they're mighty to do the work we need, which is win the battle. They pull down strongholds. And verse 5, where are these strongholds? Casting down arguments. Any high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So, Arguments, knowledge, thought, that's all in the mind. That's all living up here in the mind. And so Satan, he's trying to send, he's trying to give you dissenting arguments. Did God really say? Think about that with Eve, right? When Satan comes to tempt Eve through that serpent in the garden, he says, Does, did God really say? In fact, let, let's read it. Let's read it before I paraphrase it. It would be much more powerful for us to see it word by word. That's Genesis 3. In fact, Genesis 3 and Matthew 4 is a great passage to read side by side to see how not to resist temptation and how you do resist temptation. Genesis 3, 1, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, Eve actually added, Nor shall you touch it. Nowhere in chapter 2 does God say not to touch it. In fact, he says the exact opposite. God says in verse 15, The Lord took the man and put him in the garden to tend it and keep it. Verse 16, And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. In the, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So notice he said just don't eat it. He actually puts Adam to be the gardener of the, eat, of the Garden of Eden. How are you going to prune or cut back a tree without touching it? He just can't eat it. He couldn't eat the fruit of it. So for whatever reason, Eve adds that there. Verse 4, Then the serpent said to the woman, 
you will not surely die. So think about it. 2 Corinthians 10, arguments, knowledge, thoughts. Right then, Genesis 3-4, is when Satan presented an argument. You won't surely die. God, first there's doubt. Did God really say that? Are you sure about what he said? Then he says, he just it's a straight up argument against God's truth. It is an attack against the truth of God. And Satan says, you won't die. In fact, verse 5, For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So he cast out an argument. You're not going to die. And then he backs it up with, the reason God doesn't want you to eat of this fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil is because you'll be like him. You'll be like him. Here's the thing. Adam and Eve were formed and fashioned in the image of God. They're already like him. They walk with him in the cool of the day. They see him face to face. They, they can behold him in his full glory. There's no sin to separate them. Perfect total union. Satan sends an argument out there in the mind of Eve through the thoughts. He tries to confuse, stir up doubt, and then he insinuates that God's actually trying to hold back something on you, just like the devil. The devil's a snake and a liar. I hate him. Third truth about the, about the real truth of temptation. Third truth. Temptation does not equal sin. This is going to help some people. I know this is going to help some people. Temptation does not equal sin. I had some people say, you know, well, you know, I had this thought today and, and I, I had a bad thought, impure thought, and, and I, I didn't do anything. I didn't act on it. And, and in fact, I, the moment it came in my mind, I, st I made myself start thinking on other things and, and it, it went away. But I feel so bad because that bad thought came across my mind and, and I guess I need to repent. No, you don't need to repent. That bad thought that came across your mind was a temptation, not a sin. Temptation does not equal sin. How do we know this for sure? Jesus was tempted three times in Matthew 4. But Jesus is also, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin. Jesus is the one he knew no sin. He's sinless. He's perfect. But he was tempted. Tempted many times. He's tempted in the Garden of Gethsemane before he goes to the cross. He's tempted there. I'm sure that's what's going on. Think about it. There's a war going on for his life. There is a war going on for his life. He's sweating drops of blood. Don't you know Satan's probably there speaking to him? Don't do it. Don't go through. You don't have to do this. You don't have to die. Really? Your ministry's just started. You're only three years in. You carry power. You raise the dead. Cast out devils. You don't. Why go to the cross now? He's trying to do anything he can to stop them. And there's a war going on there. There's a war going on there. But temptation doesn't equal sin. In fact, there's a process of sin. I read it just a few minutes ago, but let me read it again so I can show you this passage in a little different light. James 1, 13, 14, and 15. 
Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Verse 14. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Verse 15. Then when desire has conceived, it's, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So notice the process of sin. First, verse 14 tells us there's a desire. Well, the desires are always there, but that's what Satan is using, your desires. So we have a desire. The desire's there. Verse 15 says, when the desire has conceived. So the temptation comes, Satan tempts, hey, you can fulfill that desire, do it this way. You can have that, get it this way. You can do that, do it this way. And if you act on that temptation, when desire has conceived, conceived, of course, like the word conception, when a man and woman come together and they know each other sexually and they conceive a child, well, that's action. And action took place for that child to come into existence. Well, it's the same thing. When temptation is acted upon, there's conception and it gives birth to sin. Now, here it doesn't stop there. When you give birth to sin in your life, if you don't repent and get rid of that sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So notice the process. There's natural desires. Satan brings temptation. Fulfill those desires outside of God's will and God's way. If you act on it, you've birthed sin. Now, at that point, you have a decision to make. Are you going to repent and get free from that sin? Or are you going to enjoy it and live in it? And then when it's full grown, it brings death. Death in your body, death in your relationships. And if you refuse to repent of it, death eternally in a place called hell. Notice that process of sin. But the, when you were tempted, that's not sin. You don't have to repent for being tempted. Rather, you fight the devil with the word of God. When that temptation comes, you say, no, in Jesus' name, I refuse to think on that. I refuse to act that way. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to look at that. I'm not going to act that way. I'm not going to treat that person away. I will not do it in Jesus' name. And that temptation is not acted on. It's just like a seed that's not planted in the ground. You're going to have a whole pack of seeds. As long as they stay in the pack, there's nothing that it will produce. It will produce no fruit. But when you plant it, that's when, over time, it will produce fruit. Last truth that I have for you. The fourth truth about temptation. And this is good news. There's always a way of escape. Every single time. There's always a way of escape. Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus is tempted a third and final time for a season... I think it's Luke 4 that tells us that, that for a season, Satan leaves. But verse 10, when Jesus tells Satan, you get out of here because it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. At that point, the devil leaves him. He's met his match. He had three different opportunities. 
each time Satan failed, each time to convince Jesus to sin. And then it says, Behold, angels came and ministered to him. See, Jesus used the word of God, the sword of the Spirit, to combat the devil. Luke 4.13 says, Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So notice, Satan leaves, but not for good, unfortunately. He doesn't leave for good, but he does leave for a period of time. And it's no different with you. When you experience temptation, you defeat that temptation, and then it goes away for a time. And then Satan, will, he'll try something later. He certainly will. But as you keep getting stronger and stronger and stronger, it gets easier and easier and easier to fight off the temptations. But there's always a way of escape. Now, that's a two-sided coin for me. When I realize that there is always a way of escape, that I don't have to fall for temptation, that makes me very happy because I don't want to fall for temptation. I want to honor God. I want to love God. I want to respect Him and do what's right by Him in the way I think, the way I act, the way I speak, and how I conduct my life. The other side of the coin is it also makes me a little sorrowful because I realize anytime I ever submitted to temptation, it wasn't because there wasn't a way out. I have no excuse. Anytime I've ever submitted to temptation and I committed sin, it was because I chose to. And it's, and, and it's true for you as well. It's hard to admit, but it's the truth. If there's always a way of escape, then if we do sin, as Christians, as believers, remember, as a Christian, you're not a dead sinner. You're made alive in Christ. You're hid in Christ. You're a new creation. Old has passed away. Behold, all's become new. Yeah, you have a flesh you have to crucify, and you have a mind you have to continually renew and wash with the water of the Word, but your spirit's alive unto God, and the Holy Spirit will empower you to live holy. He is, Romans 1.4 says, the spirit of holiness. He empowers us to live holy, which means if I fall for temptation, it's because I chose to do it. I wanted to do the thing that would fulfill my desires wrongly rather than discipline and fight off the devil and take a little bit of faith and endurance and fight and break through that temptation. But we're going to make that decision again and again and again, to overcome temptation in Jesus' name. Let, let's always take the escape route when it comes to temptation. We finish here, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Now temptation has overtaken you except such, no temp, excuse me, let me start over. Verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Notice, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape. With every temptation, God is faithful to give you a way of escape. Every single time Satan tempts, there is a way of escape. And that's good news. 
That is such such good news. That's how something like Romans chapter 6, verse 14, some people read this and think, how can that be? Romans 6, 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. How can you actually live free from sin? Some people, some Christians do not believe that they can live a life free from sin. To the point where people say, Christians will say this, and it's a cliche, I don't think they actually think about it at least in the light of God's Word, but they'll say things like, well, you know, we sin every day. Why? Romans 6, 14 says we know we're no longer under the dominion, the domain, the tyranny of sin. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 tells us with every temptation, God makes a way of escape. Why are we sinning every day? Why are we just constantly living in sin? What have we been redeemed and freed from when we're saved and set free if it's not the dominion of Satan and sin? And with every temptation that comes along, God makes a way of escape every single time. So I want to encourage you, continue to build yourself in your most holy faith. Fill your heart with the Word of God and stand strong when Satan tempts, don't fall for it. I know that you won't because you and I, were the faithful. I'm so thankful for you. And we'll see you next time. God bless you. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of the Faith for My Generation podcast. Remember, every Monday I've got a brand new wake-up call for you. And every Thursday I've got a brand new episode right here on Faith for My Generation podcast. And remember, we are the faithful.